Hello, and welcome to The Bible and Culture, a podcast that combines a life-shaping study of the scriptures, the authentic ministry of Christian poetry, and practical observations of our culture. I'm Vernon L. Harper, minister, poet, and author. Join me in exploring content that builds the Christian life, equips the Christian poet, and explores issues important to us all. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless. This episode is entitled The Prophecy of Our Daily Living. It is unique compared to the type of podcast we have done so far in that it will deal with the broad and largely mishandled subject of prophecy. This would have been episode two of a three part series entitled Mercy, Judgment and Purpose. Instead, it has become one of the episodes that is part of the theme Mercy, Judgment and Purpose. This theme will continue through the rest of our 2020 broadcast schedule. The reason for this change from a three-part series to a multi-episode theme is the more I studied, the more I realized the three episodes would not allow us to do justice to the subject matter. God is speaking to his church and to the Western world in a very specific way. It didn't take me long to understand that to do the message justice, we would have to expand beyond my original idea. The subject of this episode necessitates dividing the message into smaller topics that cite multiple scriptures for clarity. There are so many different ideas of what prophecy is, as well as its value and use in the church. We must define our terms so we all will be working from the same sheet of music. Although the overall theme in the coming weeks will get into specifics of what is happening in our world, today we will limit our message to the nature of prophecy and its value in the church. The poem in this episode is called The Sentimental Prophet and was written in November of 2019. This poem depicts a Western world whose time is running out. Those of you who've known me for the past few years know I have been saying that the world we take for granted is destined for drastic change. This poem agrees with this idea as it assesses the current state of the Western world. Unlike the poems appearing in our previous episodes, this poem is not from my book of poetry titled Christian Poems and Other Radical Explorations, available on Amazon. This poem was for my next book of poems to be published early next year. A more detailed examination of this poem can be found on our HDIF Patreon page. HDIF stands for Heart of David International Fellowship, and it is a multi-ministry virtual fellowship hosted on the Patreon membership platform. Look us up on Patreon to access exclusive content, ask questions, and fellowship with our community. Also, on Sunday, November 22nd, that's today, the date of this initial broadcast, at 7 p.m. this evening, Eastern Standard Time, I will be a guest on the Straight Truth Radio podcast hosted by Clifford Kelly. Our subject will be the Saints Place in the World. The broadcast will be live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And the audio broadcast will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. This is the Straight Truth Radio Podcast with host Clifford Kelly on Sunday, November 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to tune in. Now, on to the episode. The Sentimental Prophet 
Is it just me or did we miss something? Was it the post-Christian church shaping the post-Western democracy? Or was it the sudden change in the morality of things when right and wrong for everybody transformed into accepted or rejected of my peers? When black and white became black against white and clearly stated emotionalisms became cleverly disguised as Western ideas. Well, can you blame me for being confused? I thought the darkness would fall all at once and deliberately. Who could have predicted these clown cars and the tamers with their whips and tigers? In truth, I should have expected this, that the twilight of the beginning of the end would not be perceived as darkness and the nature of the end times would escape us. Although if it didn't sneak up on us somehow, it wouldn't be much of an end time, would it? And the clown paint is melting from the faces. The popcorn is scattered on the ground among their red and white striped boxes and vomit. The sawdust is running through the big hourglass. The big top is running out of time. The Prophecy of Our Daily Living The scripture for today is found in Revelation 19.10, and it reads, And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 from the day of Pentecost and through early church history, prophecy was a normal part of the worship service. You can find this truth reference in scriptures in 1 Corinthians 5, 20, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29. In 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 32, the Apostle Paul gives specific instructions for prophecy to be accommodated in the regular worship service. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 4, Prophecy is even prioritized in the local assembly's worship service. We can see by these scriptures and others that prophetic utterance was a normal and common part of the early church. Another thing to note is prophecy is not just predicting the future, but it is an inspired communication that reveals the mysteries of God. It doesn't matter whether God is revealing predictive or instructive mysteries. Whatever its purpose, any revelation from God is a prophetic message. In 1 Samuel 12, 16 and 17, the prophet Samuel proclaims to Israel that they did wickedly by asking for a king. Here the prophet was not predicting the future, but is revealing the current mind of God. In 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 9, God sends Nathan the prophet to King David to proclaim his anger against David's sin of murder and adultery. Here again, the prophet is proclaiming the mind of God in the present. Neither one of these pronouncements were uh, a prediction of the future, but were prophetic proclamations against current sin. Prophecy can be predictive or instructive or both, but the essence of prophecy is the proclamation of God's heart at any time and in any situation. The mind of God in a particular time and situation is always a mystery to the people, so the prophet's job is to reveal the mind of God through prophetic utterance. In our previous message entitled The Value and Purpose of the Bible, we touched on the difference between Logos and Rhema. Logos is God's word that can be read in scripture and never changes. 
Rhema is a specific word for a specific person or group of people and is a prophetic utterance. A good way to understand the prophetic difference between Logos and Rhema is that we teach Logos and we preach Rhema. Logos is the same scripture and truth the apostles taught 2,000 years ago. It does not change. Rhema, although rooted in Logos, is a tailor-made word for your specific situation. You can't find your light bill, your job's politics, or your specific medical condition in the Bible, but God will transform his logos into a rhema designed specifically to give you comfort and encouragement in your unique and one-of-a-kind situation. We teach logos and we preach rhema. Teaching is revealing the eternal, unchanging truth of God as expressed in the Bible. Preaching is revealing the mind of God in a particular time and place. The prophetic message could be written or spoken, but if it reveals the mind of God in a specific time and place, it is prophecy. Rhema is revealed to the individual through the Holy Spirit separate from anyone else present. You could be sitting in a room full of 100 people and can use the same preached message to provide rhema to each and every individual present. Each individual could get their own tailor-made rhema word and encouragement for their particular situation, even though they're all hearing the same message. Another thing to understand about prophecy is when God reveals any mystery through a servant, that servant doesn't necessarily have to understand the message or even be aware that they are being used prophetically by God. Your pastor may think he or she is teaching logos. But God knows you need a rhema. So through the Holy Spirit, God transformed that teaching into a living truth targeted just for you. An example of this is in the book of Revelation, chapter one, verse 19 through 20. Jesus tells John to write down those things which are and those things which will take place after this. In other words, John is being instructed in this book of prophecy to write down what needs to be spoken into the present and those things which need to be spoken to the future. Yet over and over in the book of Revelation, John doesn't understand what he is seeing, and it must be explained to him by the angel. We find another example in Daniel 12, 8 and 9. Daniel does not understand the vision he was given, and when he asked about it, he is told that the vision was for a future's time, so he didn't even need to understand it. One more example is found in John 11 and 1 where we are told that the high priest Caiaphas did not speak of the death of Jesus of his own accord, but he prophesied it because as high priest, it was his place to prophesy about the Messiah. Caiaphas was used by God to prophesy because of his position, but he prophesied without being aware of it and even while opposing God's will. God's prophetic utterance is not necessarily tied to the individual person's relationship with God, in other words, your prophetic utterance does not mean you are spiritually deep and wonderful. Anyone who is taking pride in understanding the mystery of God or who carries the title prophet like a bragging point on a spiritual resume is absolutely the opposite of deep and wonderful. God uses whoever is in position to be used, and that position is not necessarily an indication of your spiritual condition. The side note on all this is God honors position and uses those in position for his glory, regardless of their relationship with him.
We would do well to honor leaders in the church, not based on who they are personally, but on who they represent in the kingdom. Just as in the military, they salute the rank and uniform, not the person. So we should always respect their position in the church, even if we feel we cannot respect the person. The admonition given by Jesus to follow the teaching of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, even as Jesus instructed the people to reject the example of the Pharisees and teacher of the law, is still true today. You find that example in Matthew 23, 2 through 12. The Old Testament example of this is David served Saul even after Saul was rejected by God and God gave David Saul's job. David respected Saul to the bitter end, even while Saul was trying to kill him. If we will remember this, we will prevent splits and dissension in the church and leave room for the judgment of God. Sometimes God doesn't act because we won't put it in his hands. Our own hands are not big enough, nor are we smart enough to judge God's leaders. Who are you to judge God's servant? That leader will stand or fall before God. Who knows, you might be the one wrong in your understanding and be found opposing God's will by opposing God's leader. This is the example that King David gives us. That's just a little bonus material on leadership and servanthood in the church. But back to the original point. Prophecy is important to the church because it reveals to us our spiritual material circumstance. Through prophecy, God has made his people aware of everything from worldwide famine to circumstances of the coming of the Messiah. In Acts 11.28, a Christian named Agabus revealed through prophetic revelation that there would be a famine that affected the whole world. The church was then able to plan and prepare for this famine. God also uses prophecy to divide his people from those who are pretending to be or just think they are his disciples. God's people recognize his voice through prophecy and those that do not recognize prophecy as God's voice reject it out of hand. Even among the religious, prophecy is the dividing line between God's people and those who live in the flesh. It was through prophecy in the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was revealed to those who became the New Testament church. The same prophecy that was overlooked and rejected by the religious leaders of Jesus' day set the foundation for the Christian world. It is amazing to know that people who believed they were on God's side betrayed Jesus and opposed his ministry. Today, it is in the New Testament scriptures that the mystery of Jesus is plainly spoken to us. We must be careful that we are hearing God in them and not following the interpretation of our flesh. Because even though the mystery of Jesus is plainly spoken, doesn't mean it will be readily understood. A mystery, no matter how plainly it is spoken, remains a mystery until it is understood through the Spirit by faith. For example, 1 Timothy 3.16 reads, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles and believed on into the world, received up to glory. It is truly a mystery that the eternal, invisible God who fills all time and space became a human being and that that human being could be justified by the holy, pure and perfect spirit. That this invisible, limitless God could be seen by heavenly angels because God was manifested in a finite human body. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could then be proclaimed to and believed on by anyone who chooses to out of this fallen world. And after all of this, that that God-man could then be received up in the glory of the risen Christ. 
This is a mystery that many who yet hear it today still cannot receive. Notice the scripture doesn't read great was the mystery of God. It reads great is the mystery of God. A mystery remains a mystery until it is revealed to you by God through the spirit. And you can only receive God's spirit through faith. For this reason, 100 people can be given the information about Jesus and only one in that hundred receive it in their heart because that one received it through God's spirit, through faith and through faith, received the revelation of the mysteries of God. So prophecy is the delivering of the mysteries of God to help us operate and understand our given circumstance. Nothing more than that. It is not just predicting the future. God does not give you the winning lottery number or who will win the Super Bowl. But prophecy is the revealing of the mind of God in a specific time and circumstance so that you can uh, understand the times you live in and the circumstances you find yourself in. Now we can again read our original scripture in Revelation 9, 10 and hear what God is telling us. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, say that you don't do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Again, that's Revelation 19.10. The visions of the book of Revelation are the ultimate revealer of the history and circumstances of humanity. If we could interpret this prophecy point by point, then we would understand all things pertaining to God and his relationship with his church and restoration of humanity. In this scripture, John is overwhelmed by the splendor of what is being revealed to him and what would eventually become the book of Revelation. And he begins to worship the angel who was revealing this glorious vision. The angel prohibits this worship of him and identifies himself as just a fellow servant who carries the testimony of Jesus. When this angel tells John that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, he is telling him that since they both carry the testimony of Jesus, John and that angel, they are fellow servants in this prophecy. Jesus is the complete revelation of God. If you know Jesus, then you know God. God is revealed to us through Jesus. All that God is and all that God says is revealed to us through Jesus. In Colossians 2 and 9 and 10, uh, we hear, we read, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So what Jesus reveals to us in his person is the very spirit or origin of prophecy. And what God's servant reveal about Jesus is also the spirit of prophecy. Jesus is the center and origin of all prophecy. It was said that all roads lead to Rome and in like manner, all prophecy eventually leads to Jesus. Prophetic utterance just for prophetic utterance sake is not valuable to the church. All prophetic utterance needs to lead us to Jesus or teach us how to follow him better or prepare us for the future circumstance so that we may better be in relationship with Jesus and serve him. Jesus came to speak and cure the circumstances that we live in. Jesus is the ultimate revelation for this reason. The more we understand Jesus, the more we understand our world and our circumstance. So what does prophecy mean for you and I living our lives in 2020? The circumstances of this world are not good and all indications are that they will get worse 
We need real direction and purpose from our Christian faith to guide us through the days to come. The prophetic word for us is that these are the end times. We have entered a different era in the biblical calendar. I am not just speaking of the coronavirus here, but I'm speaking of everything that follows even after COVID-19 is just an unpleasant memory. If the events of the book of Revelation could be described as a season, and if that if that season is likened to the dead of winter, we could describe our current time as the early fall. God is giving specific warning and instruction for our current day. We will deal with this information in more detail in coming episodes, but what is important to know in this episode is God loves and cares enough for you to give you warning and instruction and a way through what is coming. God always delivers his people no matter what the circumstances they find themselves in. There is no better example of this than the three Hebrew boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These young men were part of the exiles taken to Babylon when God judged Israel through King Nebuchadnezzar. That's in Dan- Daniel chapter 3. They were required by law to worship the pagan idol that the king set up. They were in exile because of God's judgment of Israel, but they refused to bow down to the culture and circumstances that surrounded them. Just because the nation around them was judged didn't mean that their God was still not with them. Even though their circumstances drastically changed, they did not give in to the culture around them and do what was the easy thing to do by submitting to the edict. They did not betray their God. They still knew they had power in God. So King Nebuchadnezzar called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the carpet and said, Is this true that you will not serve my God or bow down to the image that I have set up when you hear the music? Nebuchadnezzar could not even imagine that anyone would defy him. After all, he was king of the known world. Every nation trembled at his name. At the snap of his fingers, whole cities died. Surely these three little exiles from a defeated little country would not dare believe that their God could deliver them out of his hand. So in verse 15, the king gives them a second chance and a warning. He says, if you don't bow down when you hear the music, I will throw you into the furnace and no God will be able to deliver you out of my hand. The answers of the three young men is classic. In verse 16 of this third chapter in Daniel, we read, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known unto you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor worship the gold image which you have set up. In other words, they said, I don't know why you are asking us because we really don't have to say this again. Nothing has changed. But since you are threatening us with this furnace and mistakenly think you are in charge of our lives, understand that the God we serve can deliver us from you, O king. But understand this also. Even if God doesn't deliver us, we will not betray him nor serve the God or bow down to the image you have set up. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it, O king. These three young men stood on the promises of their God and exercised power in their lives. Their exile changed nothing. Their circumstances changed nothing. Who claimed to be in charge of their lives changed nothing. For these believers, God was yet God, and besides him there is no other. 
And because of this answer, King Nebuchadnezzar was mad with rage and he had them thrown into the flaming furnace designed specifically to execute people publicly. This king was so mad at the young men for not bowing that he had the furnace heated up seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. In fact, it was so hot that the furnace killed the soldiers assigned to carry them to the furnace as they threw them in. But then something the king could not have anticipated happened in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fiery furnace? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. It doesn't matter what exile is coming. It doesn't matter what financial collapse, what future pandemic, what violence in the street, what warfare at our borders. God will keep his people even in the exile of a world that's under judgment. It doesn't matter what the future of the world looks like. God is giving you foreknowledge and forewarning because he loves and cares for you. Jesus will be with you even in the fire of this world's circumstance. You do not have to fear the end times. You do not have to fear any prophetic warnings because Jesus will be with you in the fire. Prophetic utterance does not carry fear for us because the testimony of Jesus' love, salvation, and rescue is the spirit of prophecy. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your covering and protection in such a time as this. We thank you for being with us in the fire of our circumstance. We thank you for encouraging our hearts and giving us boldness to live the life that you have for us in these times of trouble. We thank you for peace in our hearts, peace in our mind. We thank you for provision. We thank you for your peace and your strength. And we thank you for the ability to go forward in you to accomplish your task in the earth. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all your goodness towards us. And we lift you up and magnify you in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen. blessed by this week's episode of the Bible and Culture. If you were, share this episode on social media and look us up on our HDIF Patreon page. HDIF on Patreon is where we have bonus episodes, the ability to chat, and the rest of our pastoral ministry. Thank you and God bless. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.